And welcome back to Birds of You. When it comes to the Orioles, well, actually, when it comes to the Orioles, nothing's going on. This weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinions. Today is May 7th, 2018. This is episode 236, and we assume no one is listening out there. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, well, we're going to go around the bases to lean into your sadness. Also, we'll give away a few tote bags. The Jeters? And get all, yeah, a few baskets, and get all public radio on you. So salty balls? Absolutely. All right, I think. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this week? Scotty, I am polishing off a six-pack of International Flair. Um, I had a very dorky event at my house where I had six of my dorkiest friends come and play the board game Diplomacy. And in doing so, they had to bring food and drink from the country for which they were assigned. So I'm finishing. Stop. You have six friends? Sarah has six friends. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And uh, so I'm. Wait, wait, wait. You're married? Yeah, that is, that is alarming. (laughs) For her. Uh, so I'm drinking what's <laughs> she left of, listen. of Germany. Uh, this is a Poliner? Poliner? I don't know. Uh, now, is that Germany or is that the Ottoman Empire if we're going This is by? Germany. Okay. Uh, the Ottoman brought uh, – uh, it doesn't matter. Um, this is a Salvatore Doublebach. Quite good. I like it. Okay. Uh, I'm doing a uh, Jack Daniels single barrel rye whiskey tonight. Um, yeah. Simple, effective, strong. We need it with what's going on. We do. If you are interested in finding out what it is that we are drinking on the Rebs, on the regs, come be social with us. We uh, drink at Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, it's time for a checkup. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. All right. So big news. Mark Trump was back. Woohoo! Doing not much of anything. Hey, he's fitting right in. I guess the bigger news, though, is Jonathan Scope is um, going to be coming back in the very near future. He's still alive, and that is impressive. So that that's good. Uh, Zach Burton, I'm not sure if he wants to come back at this point. Yeah. So hang on a sec. Yeah. Let's go back to, to uh, what was that guy's name? Jonathan Scope. Uh, what happens to Jace Peterson once Jonathan Scope is back? Uh, Danny Valencia gets designated for assignment. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, some other guys uh, walking wounded. So you've got Adam Jones and uh, you have Trey Mancini who have been uh, on the bench a little bit. Trey still with that uh, sore right knee. And Adam Jones with some right wrist soreness. Uh, I would say that both of those would be concerning if losing both of or you know one or both of those guys was in any way meaningful to the wins and losses on the ball club. Yeah, I think Adam Jones being lost more so than the other basically puts an additional strain on uh, the outfield. Although uh, maybe changes are coming for the outfield situation. Uh, Trey Mancini just pulls at your heartstrings because he's been the only good thing yeah. for the Orioles yeah, since last September. Um, so you really do hope that Trey Mancini manages to maintain some health. I think everything's going to work out okay. But again, things to watch out for as the um, as the season progresses. Also, Tim Beckham still, again, alive, looking so, for an early June return from his uh, abdominal core muscle surgery. Yeah. And then there's Colby Rasmus. I, I don't want to talk. We, about we're not going to talk about that. No. no. Okay. So that's basically what's going on in the medical wing. Um, yeah, not much. Few people coming back. Jonathan Scope coming back. I think is the, is the biggest news, and I don't think it's going to shift the dynamic of the team. But it will be nice to get um, potentially one of the best players back on the Orioles once again. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to add to the medical wing? No, I think it's time to wander over to the Twitters for Orioles baseball in 280 characters or fewer. I'm going to start out this week with a tweet from Joe Paparato, one of the trio of the OBP podcast, who tweets as follows, hashtag cue the pretender. That's right, it was Jim Johnson time. And you know what? I don't care what you say about him, Scott. I miss him. 
I miss him a lot. Actually, cueing the pretender and listening to that song as he jotted, uh, jogged in from the outfield was probably one of my favorite in-person memories of just a regular Tuesday night at the yard during the good years. You know, in 2012 and 2013, you know, unless it was a Arizona slash San Francisco trip, Jim Johnson was a lot of fun to watch. And again, one of those players that just shouldn't have been so good and effective on teams that shouldn't have won. Yeah. Jake, Dogs After Dark felt quite limp this week. Um, but in my opinion, this tweet didn't. This tweet comes from Stefan Frank. Uh, and you can follow Stefan Frank at Stefan A. Frank. What's the A stand for, you think? Alma. Alma. And uh, he tweets as follows. In a world where getting to third base is risky business, a silver fox throws caution to the wind. Bobby Dickerson stars in Go All the Way, a film about a guy who gets off watching boys get beaten by balls at home. Critics call it a hot mess with no happy ending. That's nice. That's nice. That That is a dong after dark if I ever heard one. Yeah. All right. This next tweet comes to us from Justin McGuire at J. McGuire MLB, host of the Locked On Orioles podcast, as well as Baseball by the Book podcast. Go and listen to both of those. They're fantastic. Um, he tweets as follows, quote, Dylan Bundy is actually bad, end quote, is the plot twist the Orioles season was missing. Yeah. No, no, it was not missing it. Nope. I was not missing it. So this next tweet goes into the, oh, so we're allowed to be creative now. Um, the Mariners on, uh, I think it was Saturday night, came out with this awesome lineup, and their tweet goes as follows. Booyah, tonight's lineup is all that and a bag of chips. Hashtag go Mariners. And what they've done here is they've taken Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball from Super Nintendo from 1994 and gone ahead and uh, inserted into their lineup. So uh, very well done to the uh, to the Mariners organization uh, for putting this together. I, I, I just got to play some music in the background in terms of this. This is just so good. So we're going to keep going through uh, this week on the Twitter, but... I just want to say they they are in full throwback mode. First, you nice. First, you have uh, Ichiro, and now a uh, a reference like this. I blew through this cartridge as a kid. Like I must have played this every single day I got home and played it for like at least an hour. This was my childhood here. If we spent this podcast talking about which cartridges you blew through, we would that, run. That's out true. Of time. Well, we just talked about little boys getting hit by balls. So. <laughs> that's true indeed. Is there anything else in the twitters we want to do this week? Um, let's see. There's got to be something else going on in the world. Oh, actually, there is. Uh, this was an interesting one. So, Jake it was obviously Cinco de Mayo this past week. Was indeed. Uh, and uh, there was a tweet from Cut Four at Cut Four, which of course is the. Uh, Local social media like weirdness aspect of MLB advanced media. Um, and they post as follows at White Sox right hander Miguel Gonzalez celebrated Cinco de Mayo by performing with a mariachi band at the ballpark. Jake, I think we got to listen to a little bit of this. Absolutely, we do. Almost makes you want to drink cheap tequila. Here's the thing, Scotty. If we blow this team up, we have got to bring characters like Miguel Gonzalez back to the team, or just bring mariachi bands back onto the field. I think uh, I think that's a good one. Now, Scotty, you and I had a bird's eye uh, bird's eye view event on Cinco de Mayo, forgetting that it was Cinco de Mayo and forgetting that the Caps were playing that night. I was not prepared to see all those people. No. I mean, we had a lot of fun times at Dongs After Dark, uh, watching some Orioles baseball. Not really enjoying the game, no, as it were, no. uh, but enjoying the um, the festivities, as it were. Jake, you got free barbecue sauce out of the deal. I did get a free wedding favor excess barbecue sauce. And you got hit on by a lady that called you a son to her, basically. She, I reminded her of her son. Uh, so yeah, somewhere Jill and I. So when you go to those, you know, sites that you know promote, you know, interfamily loving, um, you know, think about Jake English, folks. <laughs> Jill and Eileen's nuptials <laughs> brought me barbecue sauce. Thanks very much, guys. Yes. Well, with that, since we've talked about interfamily loving, do you want to go around the bases? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs>
All right. So let's start off going around the bases, and there's not a lot to get into. But let's start at first base. I disagree. I think there's too much to get yeah. into. So let's talk at first base. Let's talk about Kevin Gosman's wasted gem for Cinco de Mayo. Man, you know, I feel like we were just talking about, like, oh, Kevin Gosman, this is as good as he's going to get. Well, maybe he'll turn the corner, and then he throws a gem like this. Holy moly. I still think Kevin Gosman is um, basically saying, I'm going to go up and down, up and down, up and down, and just be that inconsistent starter and never be the true ace that she needed to be, but can definitely be, like I said before, a solid three or four starter. And you know what? On this team, that's about as good as you're going to get. Yeah, he. but man, that was impressive. That was an impressive performance. It was, Scott, it was Verlander-esque. But again, you get to the point of, you know, you're watching it and you watch him get through the nine innings and you're just like, they're going to lose it. You know they're going to lose it because the pitcher is doing so well that you're just like, there's no chance this team is going to pick up the pace and basically reward this pitcher's effort. A more prepared podcaster would have looked this up ahead of time, but when do you think the last time the Orioles had a pitcher that threw nine innings of shutout baseball? Um, It was the last time this happened uh, for a person just like that, I believe it was Zach Burton in 2011. Get out. Yeah, as a starter. The thing is, is that it's so infrequent for a starter to go nine innings, period, for for the Orioles. Yeah. Uh, but a nine-inning shutout, it, it was impressive. And the other thing about it is that he got stronger, it seemed, as the game wore on. Or at least knowing in the ninth inning that he was facing his last batter, he just let it fly. So I think he threw 113 pitches. His second-to-last pitch was clocked at 98. I yeah. mean, he just he let loose. Um, and the thing, about, the thing about Gosman that I think was most impressive in that outing was that when he needed to be efficient— he was. Yeah. Right. So he had he had a nine pitch uh, a bat or a nine pitch inning when he was, you know, a little on the ropes as far as pitch count was concerned. And he came out and in normal game with a normal team would have finished it. Uh it was a really good sign. Again, we may not get it every time out of him. Sure. But I will take it every day. But yeah, Kevin Gossman is the first Orioles starter to toss nine scoreless innings and not win since Zach Burton on May twelfth, two thousand eleven against the Mariners. Wow, your memory is freaky. Yes. So oh. Obviously, this means Kevin Gossman, next next closer for the Baltimore right. Orioles. Shutdown closer. <laughs> Shut down. And you know, it's funny. People mention, have mentioned that before of Kevin Gossman potentially being a closer for this team and saying, you know, we don't know if he's ever going to be that starter, but he could be a really dominant closer. Um, certainly don't really want that outcome from a Kevin Gossman. Um, but it's weird thinking back to Dark Ages baseball in 2011 and realizing, wow, Zach Britton was actually starting during Dark Ages baseball. Here's an idea. Okay. Here's an idea. We could uh, we could bring back Jim Johnson as a starter and turn Kevin Gosman into a reliever. Mm-hmm. I think that's really Dark Ages baseball, <laughs> or at least 2013 Orioles baseball. All right. Um, why don't we go to second base? And, uh, Jake, I have this question to ask you. Is, is Alex Cobb actually good now? Well, I mean, his last, what, two starts were not weapons grade terrible? Right. I'm not ready to call him back. I think that there is some, I don't know. I felt like the folks that said, oh, we didn't have a spring training. We're just making excuses, right? Like at some point you just have all the suck, but I don't know. I mean, the last two haven't been horrible. Maybe he's coming around. So there was a few posts today that was kind of interesting. Um, And it was an indication looking at Alex Cobb and the change up in quotation marks that he has talked about doing, which is much more of a splitter. And it was interesting because uh, during this time, um, he has not thrown a splitter in this kind of quantity since um, 2017 when he basically had his Tommy John surgery. Um, so, so you're telling me he's hurt? <laughs> no, I'm just – I think it's more of an aspect where he actually has a greater degree of confidence more so than anything else. Um, and again, the splitter also has – does a great job from a whiff rate standpoint. And that's what people talked about saying, oh, well, he's going to come in with his quote unquote change up this year. Mm-hmm. You know, he could be a really dominant pitcher just like he was before. Um, do I think that he's going to be a dominant pitcher? No. But do I think he could be a decent pitcher for the Orioles? Yes. I think we're finally starting to see the Alex Cobb that we somewhat expected from the pitch command and the whiff rate that we saw. This is an Alex Cobb that we were kind of expecting and not the constant 500 BABIP that he was putting out for the first few games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scotty, let's just, let's go full crazy here. Yeah. 
Let's say Alex Cobb's back. Okay. Too little, too late? Oh, yeah. It's it's still way too little, too late. But it still comes back to the point of if you're working towards 2019, if you could see decent performances out of Bundy, decent performance out of Gossman, decent performance out of Cobb, then you're looking to say, well, let's see what Kashner can put together. And then the real question comes down to, what are you doing with the fifth starter spot? You have Tillman currently there, which is doing you no good. At what point do you start auditioning pitchers and saying, we're going to find out if we have anybody on our staff that can actually be a major league caliber pitcher? So it kind of comes back to circa 2017 of when does the Miguel Castro experience happen? And mm-hmm. it may be a massive failure, but when do you start trying various players out? When do you say, we're going to bring a David Hess up and just see what he has available? When do you say, you know what? We're going to bring a Hunter Harvey up for one game and just see what happens and immediately option him back down. At this point, who cares? Just give people the experience and just see what happens and allow you to basically make the decision about not only who's your fifth starter, but who's going to be your sixth and seventh starter going into 2019. And as long as you don't get anybody hurt, you have nothing to lose. At this point, nothing to lose. The, The Orioles... At this point, today is the 7th of May. They have eight wins. I have seen a full quarter of the Orioles' wins in person because I've been to two games. Right. Now, they've got nothing to lose. They've got nothing to lose. And by this aspect of being nothing to lose, I want to ask this question, too, staying at second base. Should the Orioles be interested in Matt Harvey, or is this just a, a terrible idea? All right. So I was talking to a non-Orioles fan, but a, a baseball fan. Is this Cardinals this. fan? This is Cardinals fan. Okay, Cardinals fan. I was talking to a Cardinals fan about this today, and he you know, he lives in Baltimore, so he knows of the Orioles. He's a, he's a baseball guy, and he said this, and I think there's a lot to this. He said, the Orioles are at the point where they need to take on every reclamation project that they possibly can, right? Mm-hmm. Because most of them are going to fail miserably. But they're failing miserably by themselves. Mm-hmm. So Hunter or Hunter Harvey, Matt Harvey, is not a problem. You bring that guy in here for pennies on the dollar that it would take to acquire him. You're going to bring him in for five hundred thousand to a million dollars, and it's probably going to be closer to five hundred thousand dollars because he's still getting paid by the Mets, basically. And if he sucks, that's the same as Chris Tillman, right? You just say thanks. We're going to designate you for assignment, and you're not even going to owe the whole five hundred thousand dollars because the seller will be redacted and go back to the Mets. So not specifically about Matt Harvey. But yes, the Orioles should try every trick in the book. They should do everything they can to acquire talent that may help them today and tomorrow. Right. You know, you bring in a guy like Matt Harvey, and suddenly he regrows all the things that are broken on him, and he can suddenly pitch. Maybe you can re-sign him. Maybe. 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 I think, actually, if the Orioles were to get him, I think the way it works out is he would still have arbitration years available um i'll look that up while we're talking and continue on but But let's not make this just about harvey i mean the point stands and i think cardinal guy is right it doesn't matter what is out there right just bring it in right at this point the scrap heap is probably better than what you got sure so go for it right i mean we're praising jace peterson for god's sake right because that's the state of the orioles depth okay well, what else you got out there? That's Jace, Jace Peterson esque. Jace Peterson esque, by the way, is not a not an easy thing to say. You, I will take this back. And Matt Harvey is a free agent starting next season. But who cares? Just do the reclamation project and see what happens. And plus, if if you're gonna blow up anyway, might as well be entertaining, right? Yeah. Not to mention, you know, we have sorely lacked a party boy since Sidney Ponson has basically <laughs> left the Baltimoreos. Who is going to punch a judge? Right. We need someone to come into Baltimore and um, make something of this H <laughs> town. <laughs> I like the fact that you bleeped out H and you're going to have to go back and bleep out the rest of that. That's amazing. Absolutely. I have a hard time, you know, giving, you know, nasty things saying to horses. I don't like them. Okay. I'm not a horse person, okay? You're not a horse person. You cannot let me go to Assateague, okay? <laughs> this is what the Orioles have done to us. <laughs> All right, can we go to third Rounding base? into third base. Uh, there has been a cry uh, for after this end of this homestand where people were clamoring for a change in management, whether it be uh, Scott Kubal being fired, Roger McDowell being fired, or even someone like uh, a Dan Duquette being fired. Um, but nothing has occurred 
this Monday night going into Tuesday. And it seems like it would have been a very apropos day for a move or a change to be made going into a home series where you're, you know, it's going to be a a prolonged series. Yet nothing has occurred. Jake, what do you make of this? And do you think that this tells us anything going into the rest of the season? Yeah, I think everybody's here to stay. I think everybody's here to stay. And I, I will go one step further. I think a change of coaching, I think a change of management, and I think a change of GM within the 2018 season does nothing. Moves the needle, not a bit. Right. And and whether or not I feel like Buck Showalter belongs here next year, let's set that totally aside, right? Another podcast, maybe. But regardless we of what happens— for the rest of the season, right? I hope so. <laughs> regardless of what happens next season, if you remove any of those guys— it does almost nothing to what happens in 2018. Sure. I mean, am I, am I wrong about that? You're not wrong at all. I mean, this comes back down to when Scott Kubal and Roger McDowell were hired, we basically said it pretty much moves nothing in terms of improving this team's performance in terms of a wins above replacement. I mean, in the best case scenario ever, maybe one win. Maybe. And and here's the thing. You watch Chris Davis flail at balls. That's not Scott Coolball's fault. Right. You watch the bullpen come in and implode. No, that's the tobacco's fault. <laughs> or the Adderall's fault. Br- Brad Brock is not Buck Showalter's fault because he doesn't know when to not bring him in. Right. That's, this Sh- is the, that's Janae's fault. Right. <laughs> this is the dance. Yeah, right. This is the, the, the date, date you brought to the dance. You got to dance with him. All Buck Showalter has to do is move a bunch of chairs on the deck of the Titanic I don't think that anybody else is going to move those chairs better. Yeah, I, I agree. I The other thing, too, that I, I look at and I say, you know, the easy move would have been to say, we're going to scapegoat somebody and basically fire a cool ball or mm-hmm. fire McDowell and just say, you know, we're going to go ahead and do that. But I completely agree with you. It's not going to do anything. And it, my opinion on the matter is um, I don't think those assistant coaches are being fired also because I think Buck is saying, those are my guys. I'm yeah. going to keep loyal to them. And I really feel like Buck... This is another example of Buck calling the shots. I think if it was a situation where, like that ridiculous poll that we had earlier in the in the year, where actually it was a, not a poll, it was a, a, a bet, saying, well, Buck show Walter be one of the first managers fired. Well, no, Buck is going to get to call his shots and say, when I want to be fired, I'm going to be fired. Or if I need to be in the front office, I'm going to be in the front office. But Buck is not going to go to his managers and say, uh, I'm going to have to fire you. And now I'm going to have to go get someone as an interim and you're out on the street and you're going to find a job. Like, no, Buck gets to call the shots for the rest of the year. Whether that's the right move or not, that's a whole different matter. But I think that's the big story coming out of this is a lack of movement change is a really big thing. And I think that shows that Buck is calling the shots. And we know that's the case to a certain regard because in previous years, um, the managers haven't been renewed on a multi-year basis. It's always been an annual renewal in an annual renewal. And I think this is a situation of Buck is saying, these are my guys. I want to basically go out with them and we'll basically live or die together and then we'll go from there. Well, and the other thing is that, you know, Buck Showalter is not Sam Perlazzo. You know what I mean? This is not a Perlazzo versus Juan Samuel type of situation. So he's a Lee Mazzilli? <laughs> no, he's not even a Lee Mazzilli. You know, he's a, he's a real major league manager, right? Whether or not this era of Orioles baseball has ended the way we wanted it to or ended when we wanted it to, right. you know, Buck Showalter is a different class of manager. Again, regardless of whether or not he should be back next year, he should be here this year and removing him does nothing to solve the problem other than make us feel hopeful slash good for maybe a week after that week is over. It'll still be the same old Orioles. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a superficial move is the best way to describe it. I think though, past the superficiality of it, I think we need to look at the aspect of, what kind of dynamics are going on within the Orioles organization. And it's either Buck is calling the shots or maybe more scary. Nobody is calling the shots and uh, there's nobody at the helm of this uh, fast sinking ship. I almost feel like that's more likely. It probably is. (laughs) All right. So Jake coming into home plate, is this the worst baseball team that we have seen in our collective modern life? And I come back to this point of, we have seen really, really bad teams. We saw uh, Dark Ages teams, as it were, and we've seen teams that um, have had 60 wins 
for nearly a decade is the best way to describe it. But I'm left looking at this team and looking at their performance um, more so offensively than the starting pitching and the relief pitching, but just looking at their performance offensively. And I raised the question, is this the worst team we have seen ever in our lifetime? I don't know how that's possible, right? I'm not, I'm not dismissing it because I think there's a very good argument. I mean, just by the numbers, but like, think back, like the shortstop for this team used to be Alex Cintron, yep. right? Like there was a, there was a time when the second baseman for this team is Jace Peterson. <laughs> there was a time when the, the right fielders, Anthony Santanda. <laughs> there was a time when the, when the big off season acquisition was like, a. A Lee or a Garrett Act, Derek Lee or a Garrett Atkins. Derek um, Lee, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, how can this team be worse than those teams? Right? Kevin Millar is not on this team and one of the bright spots. How can this be the worst team we've seen in our lifetime? You know, whenever someone mentions to me clubhouse presence makes a big deal in terms of team's performance, I raise them Kevin Millar and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what they said about Kevin Millar. How'd that work out for the Orioles? And they're like, well, that was a completely different situation. I was like, no, it's pretty much exactly the situation. Talent wins teams. It's not clubhouse presence. I think that this team may be less than the sum of their parts. I don't know how that's possible, but you look around, and there is talent on this ball club. I sure. Mean, for God's sake, you've got Manny Machado in this club, right? You've got uh, Trey Mancini, who's been pretty good. You've got Adam Jones. Uh, not right now, but you've got uh, Jonathan Scope. You have Crit. Never mind. You got uh, Mark Trump. No, never mind. Um, uh, half of Bundy and half of Gosman has. Been, okay, so there are a few bright spots. But the thing is, is that this is not a talentless team. How is this the worst team we've ever seen? Jake, I, I raised this question because I'm looking at uh, the given uh, performances so far for the Baltimore Orioles since uh, 1984. And I think I know it could go back to 83, but we know 83 is going to be pretty decent so it might be all right yeah it might be it might be all right and i'm looking at the baltimore Orioles. i did by the way watch the 1983 world series in a onesie so well there you go uh so jake so far uh in this early season and it's an early season uh the Orioles are posting a 76 weighted runs created plus so far for this season jake the worst performance uh during the entire dark ages for the baltimore's was during 2009 when the Orioles posted a 93 weighted runs created plus during that year they posted a 8.3 percent k uh, walk rate a 16.3 percent k rate 268 average 332 on base percentage and 415 slugging the Orioles would kill for those numbers right now they are nowhere close to those numbers jake i hate to say it this is dark ages baseball plus 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 this is the worst offensive performance we may have ever seen from a Baltimore baseball team. Here's the thing though. Yes. This stretch of baseball is really terrible. I, I, it's an unmitigated disaster, but I can't believe I'm saying, but, but the thing is, is that they cannot write the ship to the point where they're competitive again. Right. Yep. Season's over. What they can do, however, and, and probably maddeningly will do is they will probably write the ship enough that it is, not a complete unmitigated disaster. Like right? by Memorial Day. <laughs> no, no, no. no, by, no. The, by the end of the season, this will be a, a standard Dark Ages terrible season, right? Yeah. Like this team, this team, and I can't believe I'm saying this, this team could win 70 games, Scott. No, no. This team is not going to win more than 70 games. I can guarantee you that much. That's an interesting question. What is, what is the new over under for this team because the thing is you can't just say oh they're on a pace to win 43 that's games ridiculous or whatever it is. that's, yeah, that's not gonna happen that's an absolutely ridiculous However, aspect right now by the way by the numbers we're apparently on a pace to finish 76 games behind the red sox which is <laughs> awesome <laughs> so at, at what okay so let's go into this <laughs> what is the over and under now in terms of what it's going to be i say there's no chance that the orioles get over 70 wins i would come back and say i don't think there's a chance they're going to get over I'm going to say 68 and a half wins. That's funny because I think it's 66 and a half. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be right in that ballpark of 66 to 68. And I don't think it's going to be much more than that. Um, You remember the stat that the Orioles always used to come out by saying, hey, for the past five years, the Orioles have had the best AL record. Yes. 
and how last year the Yankees kind of supplanted them because, you know, they were doing so well with it. Well, what they said was they, they were the winningest club from this period and then one of the top winningest clubs from this period and then one of the top five winningest clubs from right. this period. So at what point this season do the Orioles basically say, over the past seven years, we don't have the worst record? <laughs> Because it's coming up soon, it feels like. All right. I want to go back to something you said. Okay. Because you said that the real problem here is the hitting. Yes. I I agree the hitting has been abysmal. Yes. But, Scott, this team is not just losing games in one way. Mm -hmm. They're losing games all over the place. They're losing games by failing to score when their pitcher goes nine scoreless innings. Yep, that's that's the offense. But they're also losing games 10 to 7. Yeah, Right. I mean, this and they're they're also experiencing their starters going out and getting blown out of the game in four point one innings or one third of an inning over five runs. The thing is, is that I agree that the hitting is not good enough, but every aspect of the game at some point has been terrible at the same very time. Everything sucks. Hmm. That's an interesting segue. If only we had some musical interlude to lighten up the situation. Jake, you've done well. You threw the gauntlet last week, Scott. I wasn't going to let that go. I I threw the gauntlet down and said, you know what? Do better than this. And Jake, once again, you have triumphed. Folks, if you want to check that out, uh, please go to our SoundCloud page at Bird's Eye View BAL, uh, where you can download Everybody Sucks by Jake English. It's a a masterpiece. It's something. Five minutes of, I'm sorry, five and a half minutes of, um, you know, John Carroll High School Musical. This is this is what the <laughs> Orioles do. When the Orioles are terrible, it pushes me into arts and crafts. All right? This is a bad thing. Also, it's like camp again. It's like camp. 
No, camp pushes Sarah into bad things. Gotcha. Oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, let's go ahead and get ready for our next segment. Uh, if there's one thing uh, that bad Orioles baseball forces all of us to do, it's drink. So let's go ahead and figure out what we may be drinking the rest of the season for Orioles baseball. Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Scott. And welcome to Cellar Notes. On today's show, we're going to tell you what you should keep in your wine cellar when your team is so bad that you're going to become a seller. That's right. The Orioles are 8-26, and 26, and so we're going to help the team classify exactly what assets they have and the best way to market them. You know, Jake, at this time of the year, teams are looking for the finest quality at the best value. And so we want to identify the steals that will bring the most bang for the buck for this organization. That's right. Let's start out with the more... We'll call them modest proposals. Right. We'll work our way up to the creme de la creme. But I'm going to start with a fine product out of Tennessee. More specifically, Vanderbilt University. Oh, very nice. SEC. This player is a full-bodied slugger who brings serious notes combined with a smooth finish to his swing. Not altogether overpowering, this player is aging well and making the most of his limited versatility. That's right. Pedro Alvarez is my entry-level trade ship who might be used to, you know, send to a contender who needs uh, just one more bench piece to push them over the top. So, Scott, I'm going to place this value at, well, you know, in, in wine we talk about corks. Oh, yeah, of course. We're going we're gonna to judge this by corked bats. Okay. All right, so I'm going to put this at one corked bat. Okay, so he's worth the Sammy Sosa, basically. <laughs> he is the Sammy Sosa. What do you think Pedro Alvarez could be worth in a trade situation? You know, it, with a normal team, I would basically say um, maybe some international free agent money. Um, <laughs> for, for the Baltimore Orioles, I'm going to say that uh, this will go into the uh, Chad Bradford category of player to be named later. Oh, So Rockabaca will be answering questions about it for years. Years. Absolutely years to come. In fact, when he gets married, he will literally have this question asked to him on his wedding day as well. Okay. All right. So maybe this was a bit underwhelming, but let's take a look at another fine selection from the seller. Okay. This uh, one's got a little bit of dust on it. Do you mind uh, going ahead and blowing this one off? Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Here we go. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> this next selection is uh, is the dessert wine of players. Ooh. All right. And I know how much, Scott, you love port wine, uh, but this guy usually finishes- They break my heart sometimes. <laughs> And walls. <laughs> this guy usually finishes enjoyable experiences. Now, uh, this has an intense delivery, but is a little bittersweet. With complex autumnal memories, where he was too sparingly used, he may have been on the shelf for quite some time, as you alluded to, but Zach Britton is a medium-bodied player who finishes well and may bring something back in the trade value. Scott, I'm going to put this at two corked bats. Okay. What do you think Zach Britton brings back in a trade once he is healthy again? Uh, I could see Zach Britton bringing back a, um, I would say, a top um, 8 to 15 prospect in someone's organization. Not in all of Major League Baseball, but a top 8 to 15 prospect in someone's organization. That sounds useful. It's useful. I wouldn't say it breaks the, the, the bank in terms of saying, wow, this guy's going to be immediately um a proven commodity but he could easily probably slot in with the Orioles' strength um of being maybe a top five prospect within the Orioles organization which that kind of depth is something that um sorely could be needed such as the situation that we've seen with a jace peterson basically filling in admirably um in a utility role that's the kind of role that we're looking for the orioles to get so they don't have to scrap pile it once again and and here's the thing i don't I'm almost afraid to mention it, but Zach Davies yeah. was this organization's prospect in that zone sure. that you're talking about. So sometimes you get lucky and you steal somebody that's on the cusp of being really good. Right. As long as you have a good, a good scouting department, which they <laughs> obviously, or else obviously do. Oh, that must be great. All right. Let's, let's talk about somebody else. And Scott, you know, we, we talk about all this fancy wine stuff, but sometimes you just want to drink wine. Right. Absolutely. You, you need wine that goes with burgers sometimes too. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's let's talk about something that has a, a more humble palate. All right. Something that is something that is simple, 
something that is simple yet reliable. Yeah. Right? This is something that is a great bargain. This is a player who, you know, this is an informal table wine type of player. Heavy, earthy notes. Absolutely. This yeah. is a guy that, that, you know, you don't bring to a fancy party. Right. But when you're ready to hang out, this is what you go yeah, to. When you want your balls on the ground, you go to this one, basically. And, and I'm going to say Dick Blyer. I'm sorry, Richard oh, Blyer. Yeah. I got a little informal there. Yeah. Dick Blyer is, uh, is you know, he's just a regular table wine. Absolutely. Right? You go to your, your favorite Italian restaurant. Bring them to a picnic, basically. It's, it's, yes. It's whatever is on the table. And yet, incredibly effective right now. Absolutely. Sometimes it gets it done. As long as it gets it done, especially at this time of the year, that's all you want to have, basically. So uh, that's led us to, you know, if you age it long enough, then you get into that Zach Britton category. So uh, I'm going to call this right now one half corked bat. Yeah. But I think at the right time in the year. Right. You know, somebody has a, a major loss in the bullpen or somebody loses their loogie. Or so, and again, this is like maybe eight teams that want to compete. Sure. But you hit the right team at the right time. And you might turn this, you know, house table wine into, you know, free breadsticks or something. What I would suggest actually is to uh, take this bottle, um, drink it now, and then I would actually save it for future years to come um, and let it age a little bit and see what kind of value it brings. Um, again, it's so cheap that it's easy for you just to hold on to a few extra ones of them. All right. Uh, the next one is uh, is big and friendly and packed with true regional character powerful with an off-the-wall blend of skills that this lively player pairs well with one of our higher value offerings for later in the segment we've referred to him as complimentary which i think is a great way to look at him he'll never be the star of a meal scott but he will consistently impress in the background jonathan scope should he be traded is a useful chip without blowing anyone away so uh i'm going to call this one a two Corked bats. What do you think a Jonathan Scope does for the organization? I think, um, number one, there's no chance that Jonathan Scope is being traded. A good organization would look at it and say, we should probably go ahead and move Jonathan Scope. There's also no chance that the organization compares these guys to table wines. I'm just saying. You don't know that, actually. <laughs> I don't know that. Dan Duquette may have this and just be taking notes right now. Um, you, you know, I'd actually. We're not faxing it to him. I'd Scott. actually put Jonathan Scope. As a three cork batter oh. right now, um, I think that if you consider that he has got a year and a half left, and um, a team is desperately looking for that fringe Pablo Sandoval s kind of character, um, I think this Johnson Scope could be a three cork batter and really push someone off from being a wild card contending team to potentially doing some damage in the playoffs. So Jonathan Scope gets my three cork bat. All right, now three cork back is that's serious. Absolutely, right, you were you were rising up the scale of good value to good quality. Absolutely, I would just say that you know it's probably going to be someone that is a top one hundred prospect, and you're probably looking at two other prospects that are in that again eight to fifteen category that I was talking about within some teams organization. All right, so let's move on to our upper end offerings, okay? And uh, let's start with one that might pull the heartstrings the hardest. This is one you don't want to pull off the rack unless you really have to, right? The company comes, you try to keep it hidden in the back. You want them to, to drink the, 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 the house wine first. This is a reliable, everyday guy, right? Easygoing, but occasionally tart and sharp. This guy is smooth and mature with a lot of character and one day might go down among the best you've ever had. Wayne Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> of course, moving Adam Jones won't be popular with the fan base, but... This move pairs well with desperation. So, Scott, I'm going to say 2.5 corked bats okay. for an Adam Jones. What do you feel about that value, and then what do you think he would bring back? Uh, Jake, I'm going to have to disagree here, and I'm going to say that Adam Jones is only going to be worth 1.5 corked bats. Okay. I view Adam Jones, moving Adam Jones— the same way I view moving Adam, uh, McCutcheon in the last season. Sure. My opinion on Adam Jones is, you know, decent value, but for what he is being paid this season and what value he potentially could bring as a corner outfielder for a team, I don't think Adam Jones quite has the dynamic impact that we want to make Adam Jones seems to be. Mm -hmm. This is kind of that nice wine that has the big name, but... After a while, you look at it and you're just like, 
that was great when I first had it, but now that I'm a little bit more refined in my taste, I realize that it's not as good of a wine as I thought it was. I, I think of it this way. I think of Adam Jones as the reserve label mm. of a cheap uh, a winery. Yes. Right? So a little more refined, right? A little more expensive, but not necessarily high quality. I, I agree with this 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 taste. So, um, again, one and a half cork bats. I think that he could pull in, again, that 8 to 15 prospect within someone's organization. But I don't think it's going to um, be um, the major uh, sway that Orioles fans think that Adam Jones could get. Look, fine. You're not satisfied with that selection, Scott. Let's go for the gold. Sure. All right. This is the part Bunch of the program. Walter. This is the part of the program <laughs> on Seller Notes where we really deliver. This player has a lot of flair. His masterful blend of skills makes Manny Machado a very pricey selection, but very much worth it. He started out as kind of slight, but has developed into a full-bodied, explosive batter. In the field, he's graceful, slick, and elegant. His game has become more balanced, nuanced, and impressive, even if his haircut belongs in the bargain bin. A real crowd-pleaser, already adorned with multiple awards. I give you, Scott, Manny Machado. Yeah. So uh, what kind of value are we putting to the Manny oh, Machado here? This is four out of four corked bats. All right. So I'm going to basically say Manny Machado isn't going to pull um, the wealth that we are. some people are expecting where they're going to get multiple, you know, top prospects. But what I would say is he is going to pull in um, a number two slash number three prospect. He's going to pull in a number seven through number 10 prospect. And he's going to pull in uh, a number 12 through a number 16 prospect. Um, Out of that, maybe two are in the top 100. More likely one is in the top 100. But that's about what you're going to get from a half a season Manny Machado. And someone's going to want to have to reach for Manny Machado. Um, Don't know who specifically it's going to be, whether it's going to be the Cubs, um, the Diamondbacks, Dodgers. It's going to be someone, I think, in the National League, um, mainly because the Euros don't like to um, share their vintages um, with their rivals. Nice. That's nice. But look, we're just stacked with fine wines. I mean, as I just showed, this team, you know, we may not be winning. It may be spoiling in our cellar. Right. But we have some excellent wines to share with the rest of the league. Sure. We've got a lot of top selections that we've kind of have meandered around the clubhouse and found. But, you know, honestly, we all know that we've been enticed by that fringe purchase, as it were. And uh, we know that we've gotten close to the, the cashier and we've seen that cart kind of laying in limbo right next to the cash. And you're just like, I wonder what's in there. And you you kind of go over there and you see this sign of clearance written all over it. And you kind of start sorting through it. So I, I decided to pick up a few of these and dabble in this area and try a few. So the first one that I, I wanted to try and bring to your attention um, was it comes in this big, gigantic bottle. Um, and I'm looking at the label and it's described as large and earthy with heavy tobacco notes present. Uh, and, and this one promised to basically shift one's opinions and has been known to do well in a pitch. Um, but, you know, upon opening this up and tasting them, this one was a real whiff for me. And, and Chris Davis isn't going to cut it at all with this kind of quality. And I'm really wondering now if this one has dried up right before it was bottled. All right. I was impressed with tobacco notes, <laughs> but you had me on shift. <laughs> so, uh Clearly, no one's going to take that from us, so we no. might as well just down it all in one. This night one of is shame. just down it all in one shame. It's got you know some really acidic characteristic, and it's going to taste really poor going down. But you might as well just deal with it at this point. You do this when you're busy because you're going to have a hard time focusing on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the second one I picked up was is very weird. It's it's in this like old medicinal bottle, um, and it appears to be a blended concoction of aged wine that has been given up at this time. Um, and apparently it's labeled as uh, Rasmus, and it tastes like mullet sweat, and it only should be consumed as hair of the dog at this time, in my opinion. I believe you mean hair of the neck. <laughs> it may be hair of the neck in, in this individual's instance. <laughs> and this final one, I, I don't even know what this is, but I picked it up, and it appears to be a a mix of loose change and sweated, shredded baseball cards. Um, and, and this one doesn't even appear to be a beverage. It looks to be a, a thick chutney of regret and shame. Uh, and this one is an interesting one, as the price tag on the bottle literally says, international free agent pool money. 
And, and of course, you know, I decided to give some over that the Orioles had thrown away at the ballpark that, you know, I decided to pull into my ball, into my wallet. And I was treated when I opened this up to a pile of nothing um, with this goop apparently called a PDB NL and cash considerations. Jake, this is one that um, looks like it may be something of interest um, while putting it on to your, your final, um, you know, as a garnish. But in the end, it offers little to no value and in some, some facts um, actually makes the rest of your meal rancid in the process. When we look back at this period of Orioles baseball, 2018 and forward, I really hope that we're able to look back and call it thick chutney of regret and shame. <laughs> I think you have I think you've encapsulated everything. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to take a moment to congratulate us. I'm going to break my arm patting us on the back because we avoided using wine descriptions that I did find on the Cellar Notes website, yes. such as fruity and what has become my favorite, a big plump white. Well, that would be a Matt Waiters if he was still on the team. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, we avoided some rather obvious selections for this edition of Cellar Notes. And so two obvious trade chips are Trey Mancini and Dylan Bundy. So that is your homework, Birdland. Bird's Eye View listeners, let us know what wine-inspired description you have for Dylan Bundy and Trey Mancini and what you think that this team might get for them if they were to randomly be traded, and we all know they won't. But tweet that to us at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. You have 280 characters in which to do it, and I promise you it will be more fun than watching the ball game. Speaking of more fun in the ball game. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh daddy. You are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Jake, you're on a roll, but this is getting a little absurd. So last week, we celebrated the concept of dongs after dark and competed over the number of dogs, dongs. Well, with that said, as a team, the Orioles hit two home runs. Two dongs. Two dongs. And Jake, how... That, that, that classifies, by the way. That is dongs, plural. Yes. After dark. Good thing, because we had to change it to dongs, dong after dark, basically, <laughs> which just doesn't sound right. Um so, Jake, you picked the one that of the Orioles that hit one. It was Adam Jones. That puts the contest at 4-2 to two in Jake's favor. And, um, it, you know, it's really tough to pick measures to actually try to figure out what the team is actually going to do. Um, so, Jake, I think we're all itching right now for oh, a win. Oh, I'm itching. Uh, it, we are itching for a win. So, Jake, I, I believe my category this week is going to be win probability added oh, no. <laughs> for a Baltimore Orioles player. This is terrible because I got a great one and it's going to be so sad. I'm going to pick Richard Blyer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a great one because it comes <laughs> back down to Richard Blyer has been so consistent. You know what? I, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with a non-pitcher and kind of hope that it works out okay. Eventually, Manny Machado has to lead us into the promised land with a win. So I'm going to go with, with a win. <laughs> with a win. Not wins. A win. Uh, so I'm going to go with Manny Machado as my W. PA for the week. Oh my gosh, the Orioles didn't win a game between our last podcast. No. I think that might be the first time ever that has happened actually for us. So that's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So win probability added. Jake is going with Richard Blyer. Scott's going with Manny Machado, who will own it. And with that, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we uh, normally try to talk good, but there's not a lot of it. But we figured managed to figure out a few. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Let's scrape the bottle, bottom of the wine barrel here. Uh, I'm going to go with Kevin Gosman. Look, I know we already talked about it, but there ain't much to go with here. Um, but uh, Kevin Gosman, an Orioles pitcher, threw nine shutout innings this week. They were real, and they were spectacular. Yeah. I was I was blown away. It was it was a 
It was a bright spot in a really gross week. So, Kevin Gosman, my hat is off to you. You were good this week. Uh, my good for the week is going to be sleep. I got to go to bed multiple times this night, um, not get to watch any of the Orioles games up until Saturday night. I also got to watch Sunday's game since it was during the day. But, Jake, it was really nice to go to bed and, and basically wake up, look at the score, and be like, yep, that's pretty much what I was expecting. I really enjoyed the eight-plus hours of sleep that I got every single night this week. Now, you know I love West Coast baseball. I know you do. I fell asleep for one of the games and woke back up in the sixth inning just to watch them lose it, and it was crap. Crap. Yeah. All right. My bad this week uh, goes to Dylan Bundy again, mentioned before, but 4.1 innings, seven hits, and five earned runs. Dylan had been so good it's really difficult to watch him struggle. I, I hope that this is a blip and not a regression, but it was not a good look for him, and this week he was bad. I'm going to go with my bad being El Toro. Pedro Alvarez had 20 at-bats this week, was absolutely horrible at third base, which, again, is not surprising, but this is why he's bad. Um, and they had a, just an abysmal performance in the uh, at the plate, too. A six-weighted runs created plus, 091 average, uh, sorry, 105 average, 150 on base percentage, and a 263 slugging percentage. Good for a 182 Woba. Not a good week for the Pedrovers at the plate. Not a good week for Pedrovers in the field. Um, yeah, it, it the Pedrovers experiment hopefully is not coming to an end too quickly, but it, it does look like Pedrovers once again is in that slump category, just like we previously saw when Pedrovers goes through hot periods and then extremely cold periods. Jake, who's your ugly for the week? My ugly is Chris Davis, and not for the reason that you think. The reason that Chris Davis is ugly this week is because in Saturday's game, eighth inning, 0-0, Chris Davis strikes out in Oakland. What does he do? He pulls an Ortiz. He goes back to the dugout, and he shreds his bat on the wall or the box or whatever the heck it is. And it's captured by video. That's not a good look for anybody. We blew up David Ortiz when he did this. And you know what? It is no more acceptable from Chris Davis. Completely agree. Jake, my only this week is going to go to the Orioles ticket office. So we tried to get tickets for this, the Star Wars night, and I thought it would be really easy. We have 15 people that want to go along with a bunch of kids. Um, so we have, I believe it's eight adults, seven kids. And I'm like, perfect. You know, this makes perfect sense. This will make it really easy. You know, you can get one adult ticket for two kids' tickets. This would be not an issue. Uh, so I go on the website to go ahead and purchase said tickets because I'm thinking, great, the orders are going to love to get eight tickets for me, and that's going to be a great and I come across this aspect of I am not able to buy more than 14 tickets for a kids cheer free aspect because the site does not allow for that amount of tickets to be purchased. So I was like, OK, great. I will call up the Orioles and I will make this happen over the phone since technology is not allowing me to do this. Um, I called the Orioles t- tickets office and I explained to him what I'm trying to do. And the lady on the phone tells me, oh, I'm sorry, I can't be of any help to you. The only way to do this is via the Internet. When I explained to her this aspect of, well, the internet doesn't let me do this, she says, oh, I'm sorry then. I guess you're not going to be able to purchase tickets. <laughs> <laughs> do they know where they are? Which I probably said, excuse me, did you just tell me that you, we, I should not purchase tickets and it is your job to sell me tickets? And she said, oh, no, I'm sorry. I just I can't do what you're asking me to do. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think you realize what situation you're in. Your situation is to sell me tickets. So you will go and sell me tickets. And if you cannot do so, you need to go find someone within the front office that can sell me tickets to this product that you are putting on the field right now. Orioles ticket office. Never, ever, ever tell someone that is willing to give you money. I am unable to do this. And I guess you're not going to be able to buy them. This is the key aspect of any business. Never, ever, ever tell the customer, please keep your money. I don't want you to spend it here. You know, it's funny because when the Orioles were in the grips of the Dark Ages, I always thought that it was hysterical that the ushers were so particular about where you sat in a game where 5,000 of your Mm -hmm. closest friends were there in a stadium that holds 45. It, It would make me crazy. Like I'm, I have, mind-boggling. I have paid for for this experience, and no one else did. 
Right. And you look awful on TV. Right. So wouldn't you rather me be in the shot than upstairs? Sure. We can't afford for the Orioles to fail at business and on the field. So as a conclusion, I finally managed to get the tickets. I actually split my order up online in order to basically do this. But it's very nerve-wracking to put an order in for a mass amount of tickets and then have to go right back in and hope that the tickets are still available in the section that you're purchasing. But more importantly, I can't even print the tickets out. I have to go to Will Call now and pick up said tickets because apparently they don't believe that I'm bringing children into the baseball game. Anywho, just a crazy situation with the Baltimore Orioles. Sounds in general. All right, let's go ahead and blow the save and uh, close out this podcast because it's pretty long as normal because we got to rambling. All right, Jake, I want to do my blowing the save because um, it it seems that um, old man baseball uh, announcers and writers and stuff like that wanted to harp this week on the aspect of the 1988 Orioles and how Baltimore came and supported their team in 1988, even after starting the season off so terribly, and that when the Baltimore Orioles come back into town this week, there's probably going to be less than 10,000 people. And what has happened to the state of the Orioles and why do the fans not care anymore about this? This is such a tired cliche of an argument. There's a bunch of things here that are different. Number one, Baltimore has 250,000 less population in it. Number two, there's high-definition televisions throughout the entire region. Number three, there's this thing called the internet, and I can stay at home and basically follow on a streaming site and or on Twitter to find out what's going on. And number four, there's nobody that is of interest going forward that is a franchise player that is going to be here for multiple seasons. You had a player like Cal Ripken that was in his heyday basically saying, this is going to be their team going forward. There's nothing good about this team going forward. They are in this precipice of no future aspect, and there's this all this technology around it. I don't blame fans for not going to the park, and I know this is coming from you, Jacob, being the attendance aspect, but the one big thing that you've said about attendance is, if there's a good team here, you need to go out and support a good team. This is not a good team. I completely understand people saying, you know, for the given cost, I want to go and use my money elsewhere. Completely understand that. Don't necessarily agree. That's why I want to go and spend a bunch of money with taking friends to the ballpark. But that being said, I completely understand people making a decision saying, I would rather spend my money elsewhere and or use the conveniences that I'm currently paying for outside of this given situation. Here's the difference for my money. Yes. Between now and 1988. In 1988, the Orioles hadn't alienated a generation of fans with 15 years of losing. Yeah. Right? Because fans now have seen this film before Mm -hmm. and they know how it doesn't end. Yeah. Right? In, In 1988, we were five years removed from a World Series championship. Sure. I'm 35. Yeah. And I was born that the the year that the Orioles won the World Series last. Right. That's the difference between here and 35 years prior to 1988, the Orioles had won three. Right. And were a jewel of Major League Baseball instead of the laughing stock that they were for a generation. That's the difference. The fans are not disloyal to the team. The team has not held up its end of the bargain in in modern history. Sure. And I would say that the team, the fans, the fan base in general is extremely loyal. I still come back down to walking around the given region. I see more Orioles gear on people than I think I ever have. And I still also come back to the point of, you know, I I look at, you know, TV ratings and the given performances that the Orioles are currently pulling up. And I say to myself, this is what is to be expected. And I completely understand why attendance is it is. But to make this narrative of, well, that doesn't have the attendance like they did back in the 1980s, early, early 90s. There's nothing that should basically make the Orioles have the attendance that they do. The way the Orioles can have attendance that the way they used to is by A, putting a good product on the field, and B, doing everything possible to get fans in the seats. The kids cheer free aspect is a great example of them doing that. Um, Giving additional incentives in terms of promotions and giveaways and everything like that to draw people in the park. Again, great ideas. But number one, as we have talked about since this podcast started, is... If you put a good player, good team on the field, the fans will come. And that was readily evident in 2012 and 2013 and even in 2014. But when the teams are bad and there's nothing to play for, 
that attendance always will shrink. This team needs a rebuild. And Scott, if you build it, they will come. And that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download for wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also get us at scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com and jake at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fun adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And Orioles, please win one. Please. Just one? Just Just one. I don't doesn't need to be multiple ones, just, just one. Baby steps. Yeah. You know, no matter how bad things get, I know that we could put out an hour's worth of absolute garbage on this show. It's wine with an H. Yes. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.